Welcome to an Informed Life Radio at 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, here for another great two hours of radio. Um, I want to say a big shout out of thanks to the wonderful members of Informed Choice Washington who generously give every month and occasionally, you know, just throw in some donations to keep this show on the air, to keep um, Informed Choice Washington going, to bring information um, that we hope helps you make um, informed decisions in your life, uh, make informed votes, um, pass information on. Um, some of you know I do a little guest spot on on Dr. Paul's show, Against the Wind, and and we're calling it Be the News. So we're hoping by some of the information that we provide, you can take and continue to spread it on. In this, in this age of censorship and shadow banning, um, we need to be the spreaders and purveyors of news, of facts, um, talk to each other, pass things along in any way you can. Uh, and with that, books, radio is still a great way to communicate, and books. And our, next, our guest first up this hour is Wayne Rohde, and he is the author of a must-read book that has been updated just a, a year or so ago. It was updated. It's uh, the new title, Vaccine Court 2.0, revised and updated, The Dark Truth of America's Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Um, and he co-authored that with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, it was published by Simon & Schuster, which, and you know, I that we've got some great publishers that stand, are not afraid of censorship, and they pu publish some great books. Um, but I want to give a shout out of thank you to Simon & Schuster for being one of the, the few mainstream publishers out there who will still publish things that would be considered controversial only because people don't want it to be heard. <laughs> so hi, Wayne. How you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm so glad to have you on uh, the show today. Um, you have a fantastic blog and you also do a podcast, very informative. Mm -hmm. And like you and I were talking about just bef before the show started, we we're passing out of the main assault of COVID. And what I'm talking about isn't so much the virus, because very early on, brilliant, brave doctors figured out how to safely and effectively treat COVID. Um, that was censored. Um, I'm talking about the response to COVID. And the response to COVID has caused so much injury, in particular with products and protocols that were pushed on individuals. There's a, there was so much harm, and it seems as if there's nowhere to turn. Um, you enter this conversation with so much great insight because of what you know about the childhood vaccine injury compensation program. So for listeners who are new to this, that they didn't even realize there was a federal vaccine injury program, can you give us a little uh, backstory? Sure. Uh, first off, thank you for having me on. And Bobby Kennedy wrote the forward. Not he wanted to write the whole book, but he, you know, he didn't know where okay. to go. But he just agreed to do in the forward. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, the, but it was a great influence and helped me um, with the revisions. But 
Anyway, um, the vaccine court or what we call the National Childhood Vaccination or Injury Compensation Program um, was not something I knew about with my son. I have a 24-year-old son, Nick, who is vaccine injured at the age of 13 months. He had a severe Mm -hmm. reaction to the MMR and later diagnosed with an encephalopathy, a brain injury. He later lost his speech and his ability to play and socialize. And and he's fully dependent on us for his care. And he lives Mm -hmm. with us in our home. I'm so sorry. Well, thank you. But it's also given me the direction I needed to in my life in regards to the focus, what we need to do to help each other. And Mm -hmm. that is, is that to educate people on the vaccines are not as safe and effective as the medical establishment claims they are. Injuries are more prevalent. They're not uh, rare like the medical establishment tells us. Um, For us personally, I didn't know we had a vaccine injury until my wife decided to start investigating, you know, possible, uh, you know, what what caused Nicholas to lose his speech and regress. And he later hooked up with the MVIC.org, which is Barbara Lowe Fisher's group, and informed, and we were informed that we need to contact an attorney to see what we could do. We did. We talked to Cliff Shoemaker. Um, we sent him about four banker's boxes full of medical records that we kept for our son and all the things. And he says, you got a great case, but I, unfortunately, we can't do anything for you. And and they said, why? It says, the statute of limitations ran out on you. Mm. Th- three years, nine months, whereas you only have three years into the MVICP program. Wow. And I said, oh, man, what? So that kind of got my interest going. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I started digging around, looking at it. But it, it wasn't until 2011 when the unanswered questions paper that was put out by Robert Krakow, Mary Holland, uh, Lisa Cullen and, and uh, Lou Conti and Robert Krakow and Lou, I knew, and they, they called me up and said, you need to get going on your project, which is to talk about parents' experiences. So that's what I did. Published the first book in 2014. And then the revisions came out uh, with updated data, plus four new chapters on Gardasil SIDS, uh, the backstory on the unanswered questions paper and a few other things. And that was put out in June of 2021. Mm-hmm. So it's been out there for a few months now. And um, a lot of people are looking at it going, holy cow, what's going on here? Yeah. So that's where we are with that book. Yeah, there, there's just so much. Um, COVID has made people curious. They've looked at these shots. They're mm-hmm. hearing the the advertising, the billion dollar. I don't know if you saw Highwire yesterday where they um, were talking about the billion dollar marketing campaign that our federal government, our tax dollars paid for Mm -hmm. to push messaging out there, but it's not matching the reality of what they're seeing. And they're going, what is this? And that's making them curious about those safe and effective vaccines that they were told that their children had to get. And then they start going down the rabbit hole on this and realizing, you know, no randomized controlled studies, no saline placebos, and, you know, one of the things that I always point out is, you know, airline travel 
is very, very safe. And one of the reasons it's safe is when a plane comes down, it is horrific. There are a lot of people who lose their lives. It's very visible. It's in one location. You cannot hide it. But every single day, the equivalent of many plane loads of children fall from the sky, lose their lives, are seriously injured, but it happens very quietly in one doctor's office, here, there, everywhere, split. And in fact, the vaccine industry, years ago, you might remember the date, um, what was it, the 60s, 70s? When did they begin to split up lots in case there was a hot lot, a bad batch, so that the number, the clusters of injuries and deaths wouldn't appear in, in one location so they could hide the injuries? Do you remember that? Uh, Wyeth, well, I think it was. Yeah, uh, a lot of that came out. If you, a lot of your listeners might know who Karen Kane is, Karen Kane is an, a strong advocate out there. Her daughter was injured from the DPT vaccine as a child, and then tragically she passed away several years later. But one of the things that was interesting in her case, and it and it spread to that, is is that they found that the DPT vaccine had a lot of hot lots. And that's where they started, okay, we can't, when we make a batch, we can't send the whole batch to this one county or can't sit. And and they started to break this thing up, as you said, and create hot lots and prevent the hot lots from happening. Mm-hmm. So it would be spread out all over the place. Unfortunately, um, this is happening. We think this has now happened, transitioned into the COVID vaccine area for some things, um, mm-hmm. especially in other countries that are using other manufacturers. Um, I've heard of instances in Asia, Southeast Asia, and also in Africa of hot lots. It's a nasty cover-up, if you will, mm-hmm. by the pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. to say, hey, we know there's going to be problems, but let's you it's know, buried. disseminate it out and, mm-hmm. and, and, and dilute it. So no one pays attention to it. It's actually in it. And it's, it's, it's horrible. They've, they've mastered the art of hiding the injuries and hiding the deaths. Mm-hmm. They're very, very good at it. Um, and the other thing that they have done, which is just horrific. I don't know how we undo it is normalizing injury, normalizing autoimmune disorders, normalizing, uh, food allergies, normalizing mm-hmm. autism, you know, um, Of course, we support and love everybody with an autism diagnosis, but like I was seeing some shirts down at the store and it was, you know, so proud. It's like, would you wear a shirt that says, I'm so proud of my diabetic son? I mean, you know, like celebrate his diabetes. No, you want to find out because... You know, it's, you, you see what I'm saying is the normalizing mm-hmm. of, I would do anything for my son not to have um, severe food allergies. I mean, socially, it's very difficult to be allergic to everything, you know, it's, um, anyway, I digress. So, um, so here we are, we already had a mess, a very difficult um, methodology of, of trying to get um, compensated for the pediatric Mm -hmm. vaccines and explain to us about the COVID shots and remdesivir, anything emergency use authorized, explain how those different, uh, how those differ from pediatric vaccines. Well, um, 
when the PREP Act, which was passed in 2005, um, and it gave authorization to the Secretary of HHS to address what we call outbreaks, uh, public health emergencies. And so it gave the Secretary of HHS the ability to declare an outbreak. And it's been done several times before. H1N1, the swine flu of 2009, and a few others. There was uh, uh, some other issues out there. But what happened was, is, is that the FDA recognized that they're going to have some problems trying to bring in medicines, medical devices, et cetera, drugs, therapies, whatever, into the marketplace to address these outbreaks. So this Emergency Youth Authorization Act of 2013 outlined and allowed the Secretary of HHS under the PREP Act authorization declaration to use these products and be having what we call sh uh, shielded limited liability. And that's where it started at. The PREP Act and the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program was never designed for a wide-scale epidemic or pandemic. It just doesn't have, we don't have the mechanism to deal with, as they call it, Secretary of HHS, the collateral damage. And that is those who have been injured by an EUA product, whether it's um, COVID testing um, uh, materials, it's whether it's um, um, drugs like remdesivir or even the vaccines itself until they're mm -hmm. fully licensed. Mm -hmm. And, and even the mask, right? Even well, a mask injury is, is covered under that PrEP Act. If you develop bacterial pneumonia from having to wear a mask so much, those sort of things. Yeah. Well, actually, there's a couple of those petitions in the countermeasures that have been filed because of subsequent infections, because mm -hmm. of the mask. Mm -hmm. um, there's a person that died because of the COVID testing where the uh, inserting uh, the nasal swab up too high up into the nasal cavity broke through some uh, blood vessels and the person bled to death, bled out. Uh it's just, it's, it's horrific. You have, um, of course, you have all the people that died on the ventilators. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the countermeasures program, which is where all EUA products under the PREP Act reside, that's the jurisdiction form. Um, Non-vaccine related injury petitions, you have ventilators, but remdesivir is the number one injury out there. Wow. Mm -hmm. More people have been killed or died as a result or have been severely injured because of remdesivir. Wow. It's, 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 it's crazy. So it's a dangerous drug. Doctors don't even know it, and it's being used off-label and under the EUA authorization. So uh, there's no liability for misuse, and these people are, uh, are being poisoned, and basically a lot of them wow. are dying because of it. Human beings, I've been saying this for years, even pre-COVID, trying to get rid of mm -hmm. the, you know, the liability um, protection for vaccine makers. Humans do, do not do well in the absence of responsibility. We're just not good at it. We have got to be responsible for our actions. And this was just a nightmare uh, waiting to happen about uh, what, you know, anyway, go ahead. Well, you know, it's kind of funny is, is that, we, we keep hearing our public health um, 
establishment, the, the medical centers, hospitals, and doctors, they all saying, you know, get your vaccine and mask up. That's the only way to protect yourself. But we don't hear about how to have healthy lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what we should have been promoting. And my good mm-hmm. friend, Dr. Scott Jensen, every time we talk, you know, maybe okay. every couple of weeks, yeah. first thing out of his mouth, you need to lose a little bit more weight, Wayne. And I do. <laughs> I, 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 I'm working on that. Yeah. I've dropped 40 and I've got another 60 to go to get back to my high school or college playing weight. Um, but that's, you know, I, yeah. I can do that. And I'm being active and I'm taking care of myself, but we need more of that instead of, you know, yeah. vaccinate, right. vaccinate. Right. Whereas what Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Scott Jensen, Dr. Robert Malone, all of them, and Pierre Corey, they're all mm-hmm. talking about early treatment and preventative measures to help the body react in case if yeah. there are symptoms. That's mm-hmm. what we should be doing. And these hospitals and doctors aren't doing that. They're no. not. They're failing no. to do that. They're, and, you know, a lot of it, I think that if they were responsible for the outcomes, at least in the normal manner, of their jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's a difficult job to be in a hospital with ill people, but even in the normal manner where, you know, um, but I, it makes me think about now, this isn't a hospital setting, but in Washington state, there's a, the department of health has a vaccine um, advisory committee, all DOH members, and they bring in um, public health officers and doctors. And and one of the people on their committee actually represents um, pharmacies, And nobody raises their hand during the conflict of interest statement, which just kills me. I mean, all the woman who does in the pharmacy is like they buy and sell vaccines and make money. How can that not be a conflict of interest? But anyway, I digress. When these these vaccines first came out, or I should call them injections first came out, I was attending one of the meetings via Zoom and somebody posed the question about, well, what about vaccine during pregnancy? And they were very, I've got it recorded, just, ah. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think the vaccine makers would would like it if you reported, you know, that you were pregnant when you got it. So I think they want to file a registry. But yeah, you know, it's okay to get, I mean, just nonchalant. You know, your head explodes. Now, if these individuals were responsible for telling somebody to do something dangerous, I mean, they would have said, oh, well, well, wait, there's been absolutely no clinical trials in pregnant women. Right. Um, and, you know, if you ask, if you're pregnant, didn't realize that, yeah, we encourage you to go to the doctor and, you know, but no, there was no caution. There's no caution because there's no responsibility. They didn't care. They were just giddy because some of this money was flowing in and they were talking about billboards they could put up and all of these um, anti-hesitancy programs they were going to do. And it was just nauseating. Okay. So. Let's get back, though, Bernadette Squirrels. You'll find out when we um, we do more of these interviews. Uh, so where are we now? It, it's my understanding that people have filed with the um, countermeasures compensation mm-hmm. program, but not a single case has been, what's the term, adjudicated? Nothing's been heard? They're just sitting there? Um, compensated. They have, compensated. They have dismissed a few cases based on techni- technical things such as petition didn't have uh, qualifying medical records, um, statute of limitations, things, but there hasn't been a dismissal on the merits or a compensated case on the merits. Okay. Uh, of, and the, of what the, of the alleged outcome. 
and it's one year. It's not three years like the um, 1986 Act. It's only one year. And from the date of you, administration, not from the when the symptoms occur, but from the date you receive that countermeasure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> such a tight window mm-hmm. that, and pe- most people have no idea. Um, otherwise, that thing would be really loaded with way more injury claims, but people don't even know it exists. Right. Um, it's interesting is, is that the secretary of HHS is mandated to do conduct public awareness campaigns for the MVICP and sh- secretaries failed to do that. We've known that yeah. for many years. Yeah. But it's also mandated for the secretary of HHS to promote a public awareness of the countermeasures program and they're not doing it. Mm-mm. Um, one of the, some of the th- issues that I'm, I'm seeing though, with the uh, public awareness, there's a, there's an ugly rumor going around that if you file in the MV uh, in this countermeasures program and the vaccine gets moved over to the MVICP, you will be precluded or prevented from filing in the vaccine court. That's generally a false rumor. It hasn't completely been answered because we don't know what's going to happen if it'll ever be moved over there. But as I keep telling, and I've been meeting with quite a few of these COVID uh, vaccine injury groups, there's a lot of people. I'm not talking about tens of thousands in the United States. And I'm meeting with some of the organizers or the uh, leaders of these groups to make sure they get the word out to their people that if you suspect an injury from the vaccine, or it could be from a medical device or whatever used to treat the COVID, file mm-hmm. to protect your rights. It probably mm-hmm. will not go anywhere, but you're protecting your legal rights down the road because once that year goes by, the you you, you do not stand a chance, and especially if you have uh, an injury that might be the result of a drug, a therapy, or medical device, you'll have nowhere to go because mm-hmm. the MVICP is only vaccine-related. And so, and then we get, there's going to be legislation that's been introduced this past week and then last year that try to deal with it, but there, there's a lot of shortcomings on both sides too. So mm-hmm. uh, I tell people, if you suspect it, file now. Okay. You have to as soon as possible, and it's and it's 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 uh, not hard to do. It's a I think it's a four or five page application and some of your medical records. File it, stop the clock, mm-hmm. and then you can always add medical records to it later. Yeah, and and if they just search for what should they search for to get to the website where they can do that? Well, uh, it's uh, it's off the um, uh, HRSA website, so all they have to do is do an internet search on countermeasures one word injury compensation program okay. and it'll bring it up to the main page there'll be a picture of uh, uh one of the administrators of the program and just go down and it actually has some steps your data statistics and how to file a petition and it's an online application it's pretty simple to do um i'm not sure i've ever searched for it on my computer but as soon as i type countermeasures google told me i don't usually do google either but it but um the stream yard that we're doing this show on works best on there it was just popped up right away number one there must be a lot of people sharing 
uh, looking for it. I'm going to go ahead and share. And for those who are, um, let's see, I'll go ahead and do a tab and we'll go over to the countermeasures here to show folks what mm -hmm. it looks like. Yeah, there we are. HRSA, the Health Resources and Services Administration countermeasures injury compensation program and you can go ahead and scroll down it gives a little information i'm looking for the link where it says to file and then on the right hand side is some short shortcuts okay okay um how uh the tables news contact us how to file and all that okay it's all right there okay very good um thank you i check this about two or three times a day because of other news but it's right there Okay. It, you know, it really is amazing how much news is out there, but nobody knows where to find it. Uh, very alarming right. news. It, it's not what Jen Psaki is telling the, the country during her press conferences, <laughs> or Rochelle Walensky is not telling us these things. Um, yeah. So what are, you, what are your thoughts here? What do, what do you think would be best for the injured? you know, moving forward. There's some, you know, legislation at the federal level. Do you, do you have an idea of what might, um, with your experience and insights, what do you encourage people to support? Well, first off, you, uh, there's nothing that can be done on a state level. I know some people have been trying to approach state legislatures looking for funding to pay for compensation. Can't mm -hmm. be done. Hold mm -hmm. on. <clears throat> I apologize. No worries. Um, the PREP Act provides as an ex uh, basically demands that it's an exclusive remedy to file the countermeasures program um, with, you know, that's administered by HRSA, which is a division mm -hmm. of HHS. <coughs> Let me want to take a, a break and get a drink of water. You can take a break. My, my camera's messing up on me too. So I'm fixing it. <coughs> there we this go. is, this is live radio live streaming to CHD TV. There we go. Now Bernadette's got there we go. stuff on it. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the legislation that's in for first off, the countermeasures program is absolutely horrible. Um, there's only been up until last week, 29 compensated cases of everything since 2010. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me, I must have caught something here, a little fly or something in there. Who knows <laughs> what it is? Um, there, but those were H1N1 cases from 2010 causing Guillain Beret. For COVID, there hasn't been any compensated cases yet. We've got 7,500 filed. Okay. None of them are going to move. People who are within the program and also, uh, uh, observers of the program will believe that nothing will happen here. So we don't want this program to be the place where they're going to be litigated or adjudicated because they're just not going to go anywhere. How could they not um, go anywhere? I mean, how don't they legally have to go through the procedures that were set up that the program is set up to do? Don't they have to move the cases through the program? No, they don't because it's an administrative process. The countermeasures program is different than they MVICP because it's an, there is no uh, judicial oversight, no court system. It's an administrative process, much like filing for Social Security disability payments uh, or workers' comp. The, your application or petition could sit on someone's desk for 10 years, and so be it. Uh, they it's, don't have... 
They don't have a statute of limitation on their end. No, wow. there is nothing. <laughs> and they could just sit there and sit there and sit there. And is it true there's only happen. like there's only like six employees in the whole division? Like I heard that it was just a really small number of employees in the, in the whole division. We suspect that you're, you're probably correct. We suspect it. I've, I've been after the PREP Act and the countermeasures program uh, probably since 2013, 2014. It came on my radar. Um, and interesting as I was talking about the, the dangers of the PREP Act back in um, February of 2020 and three weeks later, all of a sudden, Secretary of HHS declares it. I had no idea it was going to declare the PREP Act to be enforceable. But the the program, you can sit on, there's no judge, there's no jury, there's no special masters. You aren't allowed to use uh, medical experts to help you litigate your case. Attorneys who are very experienced in dealing with vaccine injuries, nothing's there. It's just you and basically the Secretary of HHS, there's no judicial appeals. You don't have the right to appeal your decision. Um, they can sit on your case and then send you an eight-page letter denying your uh, um, your uh, decision or your petition, and you're done. That's wow. it. And um, yeah. it's 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 a horrible place. It's got some other major uh, problems. I sent a few FOIAs off back in uh, early 2020 asking for funding, staffing, and job descriptions dealing with the COVID, and they refused to comply. So they're basically daring me to go to federal court in, in D.C. to file a lawsuit to have mm -hmm. them compel to the FOIA. Uh, don't have the hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend those types of lawsuits because it's going to take some time to do that. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of move on. But we do know that in the uh, Family Cares Act that originally came out of Congress in March of 2020, there was some money appropriated to HRSA to deal with countermeasures. Then some news, you know, paper or actually newspapers and the news sites started releasing a little bit more information. And we, we've heard five to six employees dealing with all these petitions. Uh, we've heard they just got, you know, maybe $30 million to deal with it. Well, if you have 7,000 or 7,500 petitions, you're going to need more than $30 million. It's um, these injuries are severe that we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know. We don't, we There's... really don't know. And our government won't tell us. No. And, you know, you think about like the latest numbers for chronically injured post injection with the shots and it or i haven't looked at the numbers in a while Thirty thousand, are we up to forty thousand, wayne i haven't looked in a little while i think it's about thirty-five thousand right now for okay. what we call chronic severe uh reaction yeah and yeah those people are going to need lifelong care for the rest of their lives yeah. and you know you, so many of us who entered COVID, having um our eyes more open to un yep you know, being suspicious and critical and whoa, what's going on here? You know, we tried to warn everybody. It's like, listen, there, you, if you do this, if you take any product or you do what they say, if it's under EUA or under the PREP Act and you get harmed, you're on your own. And it just, mm -hmm. it didn't seem to sink into people. They didn't understand when they went into the hospital, everything was incentivized 
but nobody was responsible for anything, right? Unless, unless fraud can be proven. And it does seem as if more and more evidence is beginning to emerge here and there that fraud has been done, like especially mm -hmm. like the Pfizer uh, clinical trials as the judge has forced those papers to come forward. Um, you know, but then what? Then these, um, these, uh, uh, well, if you look at the fraud cases, and let me jump in here on this fraud because you're making okay. a great point here. And that is, is that the fraud cases will not benefit the individual people. Who's going to take Pfizer to court and sue over fraud? It'll be the U.S. federal government. They will receive the benefit if it's found that Pfizer did um, mm -hmm. uh, commit fraud. Unless you can get a class action suit. And, you know, we got the idea of what's going on with the Gardasil girls. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at a fraud here. But that's major. That's it's a major suit that's going to take many, many more years. Yeah. We're talking five to ten more years. The people that are injured from the COVID that are the chronically uh, ill need help now. They and the reason now. why mm -hmm. is, is that I was visiting with several of the groups yesterday and we were talking on a conference call. Doctors and medical facilities are denying that these injuries are, occurred because of COVID vaccines. They're saying, oh, it's all in your head. It's hysteria. Oh, yeah. It's mm -hmm. and, and and you're talking. So these people who are developed transverse myelitis, who small fiber uh, polyneuropathy, where they can't walk anymore, they need walkers. You're talking about triathletes, a triathlon athletes, people who um, uh, are very athletic, who could no longer walk. They need a walker. They need an assistance. Mm -hmm. These are chronically ill. And since the doctors and the hospitals can't help or refuse to help them, they're spending money out of their own pocket looking for alternative therapies and treatments, mm -hmm. whereas the, their private insurance can't do anything for them. So we're bankrupting all these people. Yeah. Sooner or later, they're going to be moved into Medicaid and Medicare. Mm -hmm. And we saw the story, what happened with autism, where a lot of these kids you know, had no insurance coverage, whatever, because of private insurance refused. Now mm -hmm. they're on Medicaid, Medicare, and they're just, you know, uh, costing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Now we have COVID patients going to come in the next 10 years. We're going to see a huge bump in yeah. federal spending of our tax dollars just to provide some type of form of care for these people that we could do that right now. Mm -hmm if we had a compensation program that was fair and equitable. And that was funded by, how about Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson? Oh, somebody brought up to me something I want to ask you about. Recently, Johnson and Johnson created a whole new division of their company and they moved the telecom powder business under it so mm -hmm. that only the assets of this company would be responsible for the lawsuits. That mm -hmm. seems pretty tricky and sneaky, and I don't know how that is legal to, you know, because that's just denying compensation to a lot of people. 
by after the fact, after your whole company just harmed a lot of people, you you cut off a little bit and isolate it legally so that you can avoid your company going bankrupt, even though you deserve to go bankrupt. Well, uh, uh, I think people uh, need to pay attention and go back to history. I'm a big student of history. I have to understand what uh, the Vioxx trials did with Merck. Yeah. And the yeah. amount of money that Merck had to pay. Yeah. And it taught these other corporate giants how to avoid that. So that's where the Sackler family and Purdue Pharmaceuticals did the same thing. Mm. Now they're with the opioid uh, issue. Johnson & Johnson saw that and they're doing the same thing. And you notice, but our federal laws and our bankruptcy laws allow this to happen. Mm. They protect them. And it's it's insane what what we do. Yeah. This is that the our government should be protecting the people, but no, mm -hmm. it protects the business interest. Mm -hmm. We're on our own. Yeah, we are on our own, and you know people are starting to really understand that. It's just heartbreaking that mm -hmm. so many people didn't really inter understand until they were the ones injured and they realized that they were completely on their own, that they were left. Um, you know. Anyway, so what else? Your your blog is so rich with information. I know there's a lot of things to cover well, here. Well, let's get into the we'll get into the legislation, but um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I found a compensated case this past week in the CICP that the federal government did not acknowledge. And I oh. wrote about it earlier today. Okay. I was moving some stacks of papers. I had three stacks of 800 page documents that I received from a FOIA request to uh, HRSA asking for previous um, decisions in the countermeasures program. And they sent me a total of almost 2,400 pages, each case anywhere from six to 12 pages, and it's fully redacted. All you see is the name, uh, the, uh, the name of the agency, which have been HRSA, the date, mm -hmm. three or four pages, five pages of grayed out everything, and then who signed the decision, the officer of HRSA. And it just, you know, they're, you know, they're just, it's just ridiculous. <clears throat> and so I, was, I had those stacked and I had them bound by twine and by rubber bands. And I was going to just kind of clean up the office here a little bit. And I was going to move them into these banker boxes. I had one stack and it slipped out of my hands and fell onto the floor and kind of spread out. All the papers kind of slid out in a big old fan. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting, there was one document, an eight-page document I had stapled together that kind of magically appeared right in the middle that I could look at. I looked at it and I said, man, that's a little different. I picked it up. It was a decision done in August of 2016. And they awarded damages from what? I don't know because it was redacted. What was the medical <laughs> outcome? I don't know. It was redacted. But the dollar amount was there. That's the first time a dollar amount was listed. Mm -hmm. In 2,400 pages, first time a dollar. That was done by accident. They said they're supposed to redact that because it's tied to an individual. But you don't mm -hmm. know who it is. Yeah. So I sent it off to Herson. I said, can you please explain this? Because this compensation letter doesn't match up with your 29 that you put out there for the last several years. 
And they said, oops, we missed one, I guess. And they put it in as of the March 1 data that came out on Tuesday. Um, wow. And I was going, okay, now they got 30. They got me thinking. <laughs> if they missed one, did they miss a whole bunch of others? Yeah. <laughs> so I got to go through all these pages. So I wrote about it today just to have a little bit of a giggle. Yeah. And, and it's... But my writing is concentrated on the vaccine court and the CICP. I don't get into the science because I rely on the experts such as yourself and such as other people who talk about it fluently. Um, I can't get into the science. Uh, there's too many good people out there such as yourself talking about it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. But <laughs> yeah, I bring well, on you, the experts. You know a lot and- of it. Yeah I, yeah, I do. But we need people like you. We, you know, there's so much information in so many areas. It's fabulous that you're an expert in this area. We need you to be covering this because we don't have time. <laughs> well, okay. So let's look at, let's tell people about the legislation that's been introduced. Okay. Last year in June of, of 2021, Congressman Lloyd Doggett of Texas, he's the San Antonio area rep, Congressman, introduced legislation to move the COVID vaccine into the MVICP, okay? Mm-hmm. Very honorable idea, concept, which needs to be done. Didn't even get a subcommittee hearing. It won't get a subcommittee hearing. It's just going to sit there as being introduced, and that's it. Um, then this past week, uh, Senator Mike Lee out of Utah, along with Senator Johnson and a couple others now have signed on, Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, have introduced in the Senate legislation also. But this is the one that I can't understand because this one, even if it was moving, I'd be against it. Mm. Because it doesn't move the COVID vaccine injuries into the MVICP. It keeps them in the countermeasures program. So we Mm. still have the limitations. But what they want to do is create a separate department within the CICP, bring in a couple special masters to litigate it, and then uh, go with it from there. One, it still lacks the force and effect for there's no appeals. Two, it's going to take at least 12 to probably 18 months to develop an injury injury table profile. Because Mm -hmm. the way they're going to do it, they're going to create this commission, a blue ribbon commission of appointees to determine what's an acceptable injury. Um, Got a sneaking suspicion that it's not going to be favorable towards the injured on that one. Mm -hmm. So who knows what that is? See, Gardasil, when it, it's, it's horrible. When Gardasil was added to the table in the MVICP, there was no injury profile added at the beginning. So all these girls are showing up. You had Mm -hmm. to fight for everything. You had to prove causation. Well, if it's in the CICP, we're gonna ha- we won't be able to fight for everything because we won't have the mechanism to fight for it because you still gotta send in an application and just someone looking at it and deciding. You have no way of calling medical experts to testify on your behalf. So there's problems there. Uh, but I get it. Well, I understand why they want to do it because you know some of the uh, senators don't like to have trial attorneys involved and all that. So, you know, it's a bigger political mess. Um, But it shows you that 
we do have some people that want to try to do something mm-hmm. in Congress, but it gets caught up in the political uh, the battles and the extreme yeah. marginalizing going back and forth. Um, well, do you have, I mean, have you reached out to them and, and told them your concerns? And, and do you have ideas that could be amendments to this bill that would improve um, outcomes for those who are filing? Yes, we've. We, um, there's a few of us, including a few um, uh, a, a vaccine uh, bar attorneys who practice in the MVICP. We've written or co-written or written letters um, to Doggett's office and nothing's going to happen because they said nothing's going to move. So we're not worried about it. Senator Lee's office is just just brand new. Who knows? I've talked to a few staffers um, on Johnson's in Johnson's office. They're Mm -hmm. aware of the problems. Um, I don't think that's going to go anywhere, too. So we're going to be back to square one. We've got an election coming up in November. I don't see this legislation moving at all. We might have a chance next year. Who knows? But the realization is, even if we had, we have to break up the legislation into three parts. That's my my theory. What do we absolutely need? Two, what can we live with? And what is absolutely a deal breaker? And, and try to go from there. But I think our best way of doing this is not, you know, just getting in front of a microphone and uh, letting the New York Times marginalize this. Mm-hmm. I think what we have to do is rethink our approach and stay apolitical on this. We need the face and the force of this has to be the people who are vaccine injured. Because you remember what happened in the autism community uh, movement? It got some people came into the movement that really didn't have any skin in the game. And then all of a sudden we got marginalized Yeah. Um, by the media and all oh, you guys, then the, the official word out of our government is vaccines don't cause autism, but mm-hmm. yet we know they do, mm-hmm. you know, vaccines don't, uh, the Gardasil vaccine doesn't cause death vaccine. Uh, Gardasil doesn't cause sterility, but we know it does. Mm-hmm. And we've got medical proof for it. But we got marginalized there by the media and by uh, our federal government. I think the better approach is going to have to be where we get the tens of thousands of people who have been injured and get them out in front with just their stories. And then people start knowing because most people don't know that there is injuries from a COVID vaccine because state health departments and a federal government CDC says, Oh, everything's extremely rare. You read an article here mm-hmm. about uh, injuries and they'll say it's extremely rare. So people think, you know, maybe one or two people. Uh-uh. It's yeah. thousands. The, the, did you see the latest Lancet study on the topic? The word spent, they'd say the majority of adverse events reported are very minor, minor, very mild, uh-huh. you know, um, but then you look and you realize, well, you know, if if 93, 94% are mild, that means 6% are serious. 
six percent mm-hmm. out of how many million? That's a huge number. And the I forget the fatality. Do you recall what that came up with? The massive numbers when you look at it, and it's just insane. I keep going back to though. Here we've got the the products that are causing all this injury, and I don't know how they're they're not going to be able right. to sweep this. They're not going to be able to normalize this as they did with some of the pediatric vaccine injuries because it's mm-hmm. it's so much more massive that you know these COVID shots make um, the MMR look safe in comparison, you know, because of just the sheer volume and types Mm -hmm. of injury that we're seeing. And it's not going to be able to be hidden. But the companies that are making billions, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, Gilead, Merck, um, you know, all of these companies are making billions and billions of dollars. They should be funding the compensation programs. You know, why it's just absurd that, you know, that they're not that, I mean, I do realize that they set it up to be not for them not to be legally responsible, but surely they should be financially responsible. And why are they even being allowed to profit off of a pandemic? (laughs) You know, I don't know. The whole thing is so unethical unethical and immoral. Um, you know, we're getting close to the, uh, to the top of the hour here. We've got a, uh, about five more minutes. Um, I like to leave listeners and viewers with a little bit of hope and some action. You know, what would you recommend people do if they're frustrated? Like, you know, we've been talking about, we are, and we really want to make a difference. We want to try to move this country in the direction to help the injured. Um, what would you suggest we do? That's a big loaded question. Well, I, uh, well I think we're going to have to forget about what I call the fourth estate. And that's your, that's your uh, mainstream media. And we need people to start speaking out and acknowledging that vaccine, COVID vaccine or injectable injuries are there. They're real. They're not rare. And they're very prevalent. They're not uh, just a few out of every million. Um, People are having issues, and we're going to start seeing more of it, especially if they start recommending where we're going to have an annual COVID vaccine injectable or whatever, like a flu shot. Um, Then it becomes mainstream. I think a lot of people just don't understand what a a vaccine injury is. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks it's only going to be uh, a severe reaction in the doctor's office. No, it can be 30 days later, whatever. People need to start understanding and asking people if they know their neighbors are suffering, help them. Yeah. We help each yeah. other, but also start talking about it with your family, with your friends, your business associates. This is how we're going to work together and grow and combat the, the, uh, the captured agencies of CDC, our federal government, and our media, because they absolutely are refusing. Well, let's not play that game anymore. Let's yeah. let's deal with the people and help each other, but also recognize that our neighbors might be suffering too. Mm-hmm. And don't be shy and 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 walk away from it. Encourage yeah. them to speak out. And yeah. that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Getting vocal is probably the number one thing. We all have to stand up and see what's Mm -hmm. happening and then begin to find, you know, wherever our talent and passion lies, ways to help fix the system. So this doesn't ever happen again. There's a lot of work to be done, but you know, 
I still, despite all of this, I have a little faith, a lot of faith still in, in human spirit, human goodness. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, what has happened has happened because the powers that be took advantage of our, our willingness to help other people are wanting to help our neighbor. You know, uh, we locked down, we masked up. Well, I didn't mask up, but, um, you know, we, we did a lot of things to support each other and take personal sacrifices because we believed it would Mm -hmm. help. And a lot of those personal sacrifices, um, you know, we took and we didn't need to because we were lied to. Um, And, but I don't want to lose that goodness of what humanity is. I just want us to wake up to how it can be abused and our freedom stolen. Where, if if people want to read your blog posts, which are really interesting and give you a lot of insights here and they can follow, where is your blog? It's out there. It's the vaccine court dot, uh, dot substack.com. And it's a free, it's a free blog sign up and just get over there, type in your email address, click enter, and then you get it. I'm releasing stories every couple days about what's happening here with the COVID vaccine injury stuff Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I also release stuff out of my podcast out on there too. So uh, right and on that's, point uh, dot online is is the podcast. Good. Yeah. So the vaccine court at Substack and the podcast is called Right on Point. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for mm-hmm. coming on the show today. You know, keep us updated and I'd be happy to have you on as things move forward. And especially if you think of things that we can do that, you know, citizens can do to begin to move the needle in the right direction to help people injured by any of these EUA products. So. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity to speak to your listeners. I appreciate it very much. You betcha. You take care. Um, You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got Dr. H in the house. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. 
From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, the high wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a Hello and welcome back to an Inform Live Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Last hour, we had Wayne Rohde on and our next hour coming up, we've got Dr. Henry Ely. Um, why don't we go ahead and pull him on, even though I'm going to I'm going to give a little introduction, but I, I don't want to forget, Dr. H, as we call you, that, that Wayne says howdy. I want to make sure I pass my hellos oh, cool. on Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I got I to send him a shot. He's been in my mind for a while, too. I'll, I'll reach out to him. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's great that people have their their little niche passions in, in all of this. There's just so much to cover, right? And I just mm -hmm. love that he... He's really focused on the injury compensation programs because that's, you know, that's where we're going to need so much of in the future, um, now and in the future. Um, I've had you on several times before, and the last couple of times I've just been a little bit lazy. So this time, I well, I was a little bit lazy too because it was last minute. I grabbed some things off your website. So if you'll bear with me and blush, I'm going to read a little bit about you. So, okay. Dr. Ely, a.k.a. Dr. H, is the author of Energetic Health, Interesting Insights into Advanced Natural Medicine, and holds educational copyrights on over 200 published works regarding natural medicine, vaccine education, medical cannabis, cellular cleansing and detoxification, release point therapy, clinical massage, and holistic nutrition. Dr. H hosts a weekly nationwide program, Energetic Health Radio, and is a regular writer on the America Outlaid out Loud Network, detailing the latest empirical evidence and research regarding the COVID crisis. You can listen to and read his volunteer effort on his America Out Loud team page. He's the lead author of the COVID research team that has published five manuscripts, including the peer-reviewed and highly acclaimed COVID-19 Data Collection, Comorbidity, and Federal Law, a Historical re uh, Retrospective, and the biggie, the 444-page peer-reviewed position statement on willful misconduct, COVID-19, restoring public trust during a public health crisis. And we've got news a, a bit, uh, or you have news a little bit to tell us <laughs> on that. So uh, 
again, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's uh-huh. it's always great to to see you and and hear all that you uh, have to say. And b- before I forget, I want to spend a little bit of time on fasting. You've got right. me intrigued on fasting. There's some good information. Um, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. so first, let's talk about um, you know what's going on with the restoring public trust with that grand jury thing. Tell us what's going on. <laughs> Well, you know, we we filed initially in the uh, Ninth Circuit Court um, in late February. Then we kind of had to pull it back for a week because there were some concerns that we might have violated a procedural error that would have given a judge an opportunity to dismiss the petition entirely, two years worth of work with prejudice. Mm. Uh, we, we did a little extra homework, found out that that wasn't true. It was an over, we were being overly cautious, which is fine, you know. And what it, what it did was it gave us the opportunity to um, add some things to our petition that uh, we we were we didn't have at the beginning. Uh, and the first thing was uh, Rochelle Walensky coming out and admitting guilt. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was at the University of Washington and she said, well, we, we and I'm paraphrasing here, but yeah. we, we should have had more caution and we shouldn't have put all of our eggs in one basket and looked at yeah. one single solution, right? And and she said she's alluding to the public, I mean, people listening, that it was just an, a whoopsie. No, Rochelle, that's your job to make sure that you you're supposed to be the brakes on the vaccine manufacturers. Mm-hmm. The FDA is supposed to be the brakes on the vaccine manufacturers. And what we're seeing coming out of this uh, Pfizer first data dump is damning. You yes. know, I mean, I'm I'm looking at table one on page seven, and I can't believe that out of 42,000 subjects, there were 1,223 fatalities in a clinical trial, and they allowed the clinical trial to go on. Now, I haven't reviewed the, I'm, that's my Sunday, that's my Sunday fun day as I get to okay. <laughs> this data dump. So if I'm wrong about that, forgive me, but when I'm, I've had four people confirm what I just said, and I'm, I'm blown away that a clinical trial, phase two clinical trial, con- continued on, and this is what in that uh, in that magnum opus we put out that position statement last year. Mm-hmm. My team was the first to publish on this. We were very concerned. I'm going to read to you two of the things in our executive summary oh, uh, nice. right here, Bernadette, because okay. we, we published on this in March of 21, and after reviewing. The New England Journal of Medicine's uh, Phase Two Pfizer clinical study that was published, right? Okay. It was alarming. Mm-hmm. This is we've known this since at least March of of twenty one. Three thousand eight hundred and sixty one of the enrolled participants in the Pfizer Phase Two clinical trial were removed from the final efficacy analysis. We asked Pfizer why and never got an answer. 6,292 enrolled participants were removed from the final safety analysis. We asked Pfizer and we never got a response on that. And there, there were only, in the control group plus the, the vaccine group, um, mm-hmm. there were only like 40,000. 6,000 is a significant number of people removed. We're right. We're, right, we're right on the same page. And this is where I like to get into statistical significance with people because we say, we throw around the word significant all the time. And I'm going to tell you in a clinical trial, it doesn't matter how big the clinical trial is. One death is significant. That's enough mm-hmm. to shut a clinical trial down. But in terms of statistics, 3% is considered significant. So when we start looking at 
the control and the experimental groups, they're going to split. The, it was 43,998 people in the original study. So let's just say 44,000, right? Mm -hmm. They split those in half. Half are going to get placebo. Half are going to get the experimental um, inoculation, the, RM, the mRNA gene therapy, right? I, I refuse to call this a vaccine anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm done after I just saw what came out of Lund University this week uh, with researchers showing that there is a reverse transcriptase component to the mRNA platforms that it can actually upload into our DNA, the exact thing the CDC and the vaccine manufacturers said couldn't happen. I'm wow. done calling it a vaccine. I'll call it an inoculation. I'll call it a biologic. I will call it gene therapy. But one thing this is not is a vaccine. Vaccines are artificial infections. They do not upload themselves into our DNA and become a part of us. And that's exactly what Lund University just proved this week. So I'm like, yeah. I'm done. I'm done with that. But when we, we looked at that, Bernadette, 44,000 people in the trial, 22,000 are going to be placebo, 22,000 are going to be in the experimental group, 6,290, excuse me, 92 people just mysteriously disappear from this study. And wow. the question has to be, and this is what we asked Pfizer, what happened to those people? And mm -hmm. now we're going to start seeing, getting answers to this finally over a year later. We're, we're So Tom Renz is so over target on this issue. It's, it's unreal. It, he, explain to listeners who Tom is. Tom Renz is the first attorney that I became aware of who actually was pursuing and fighting this. He was doing his own data analysis. He filed the first cases in federal court um, to attempt to get an injunction and, and to what's going on the, with the distribution of the shots and, and was calling out the fraud. He actually used our peer-reviewed paper in one of his, uh, his filings. And of course, the courts dismissed it because the courts don't aren't scientists. So they're going to go with whatever the CDC said, which is a, is a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. But he's the first attorney out there that had the cojones to call this for what it was and start to take action on it. So to me, he's at the top of the heap when it comes to attorneys. And he self-admits, he's like, I'm not the best attorney out there. I don't have the, the biggest you know, laundry list of successful high-profile cases. But he is the attorney, in my opinion, that cares the most and is the most authentic. And that matters to me. Yes, right? yes. So he's been doing some great work. Whistleblowers have been coming forward to him. He, he's the one that dropped the information on the Department of Defense and what was going on with that and Project Salus and all this other stuff that he's he's been putting out there and really aggressively attacking what's going on. He wants to see these people held to justice, just like I do and just mm -hmm. like you do, Bernadette. And he's doing he's doing so. He said something to me when we were hanging out um, after the Portland rally at the end of February, um, he, we were hanging out. We're all, you know, it's so good. I mean, and through all the tragedy, you start making these wonderful friendships like you and I and everything, mm -hmm. right? It's really good. So we're hanging out and him, uh, he, Kevin Jenkins and myself, we're all talking. Um, and, <laughs> and he goes, and we were talking, the topic came up of informed consent. Mm -hmm. And he said, and he, he went off. He was like, there hasn't been one case in this country, one instance in this country where informed consent has been fulfilled. And I said, go on. And he said, 
the data has been fraudulent from day one. That by definition means that they have not fulfilled the tenets of informed consent prior to the administration of these experimental gene therapy shots at any given moment in time. Amen. And I'm like, I was like, you know what? That is an impossible, it's impossible for me to argue uh, that, you know, now we could say that because somebody said, yes, you can do this to me, that implies informed consent, but it, it that is negated when that person was lied to preceding their authorization. Yeah. And, and a lie can be omission. Right. What you're not told. It, it, a lie includes what you're told and what you're not told. Amen. It's yeah. exactly what it does. So, you know, when, when we looked at this Pfizer clinic, what's coming out right now in the first data dump is damning. We know that there's, what is there, 55,000 pages coming every month until they've mm-hmm. got them all out or something like that. Mm-hmm. There are teams mobilizing right now um, with a lot of volunteers who have just said, hey, I want to go in and help and, and break the, this down. This is the most important. This is the most important scandal most important crime of our generation, of our lifetimes. And we have to get this right. We have to get to justice on this or else all we're doing is condoning that it's okay to murder people for profit, you know, under the guise of public health. What are you kidding? Yeah. um, Just a little side question around the world. How many other countries are using these mRNA products and the Johnson and Johnson products? Because a lot of countries are doing their own. Are they? Are the other countries who have their own versions of shots? Are they seeing the same sort of injuries? They're they're all based on the spike protein, though, right? So they're potentially having a lot of similar injuries. Sure. I, I wish I could speak on that intelligently. I don't have the same level of depth of knowledge with what's going on in other countries. I've Looked at Scotland. Scotland has done has done or at least was doing some good in, in uh, reporting on how many people, you know, unvaccinated, one shot, two shot, three shot, and and cases, hospitalizations, deaths. They said stop doing that, of course, because it was too revealing. <laughs> you know, who was who was the safest group by far? Uh, the people that are vaccine free, like you and me. Okay. You know, <laughs> so it was like, well, we can't publish that data anymore. Uh, UK has done some good stuff that we, we've seen. Israel, we've seen some good data coming out there. But it's it's really, you know, I think the most telling thing, Bernadette, isn't necessarily the data. It's where Pfizer isn't because it's the countries. Where, where Pfizer tried to get into every country, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the countries that said, no, we are not going to give you immunity from civil actions if you hurt somebody. Those mm-hmm. are the places where Pfizer elected not to go into. Okay. So that should tell you everything you want to know. They don't stand by their product. They never have. And they've lied every step of the way. Yeah, it might be really interesting to know how people, consumers, are faring with some of the other products globally. That's that's a topic maybe for another show and somebody mm-hmm. else to squirrel down. Because obviously here in the United States, it's been predominantly Pfizer, second to Moderna, and then and then J and J out there. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> it, it, where we go the, from here. The scale of it is overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it, especially if you're just could you imagine just waking up right now, mm-hmm. like like after oh, we we've, we've been preparing for this for decades, like mm-hmm. folks like us, right? Mm-hmm. But can you imagine just waking up right now, the shock of the shock. realizing what they are, they have, they attempted to pull off? Yeah. Here? Well, some of our most vocal doctors 
um, mm -hmm. it was it was these shots and what they were seeing that woke mm -hmm. them up. Mm -hmm. um, and before that, they just thought anybody critical of vaccine was crazy, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it just once you see it, once you begin to open up. Now, I'm thinking about those those missing those six thousand people that just disappeared from mm -hmm. the clinical trials. Mm -hmm. We know in the 12 to 15 year old group, what they did with little Maddie DeGray. Mm -hmm. was after the first shot, when she had injuries, they removed her from the study, right? right? So, so anything, if that is what they have done, that anybody who, who didn't handle the shots well, if they just eliminated, eliminated all the people who died or were severely injured, um, but you would think some of them would be speaking, some are speaking out. I believe that there is one, there are one or two that have been at Senator Johnson's roundtable who were in clinical trials. Yeah. Um, maybe more of them will step forward and explain what happened to them. Right. If they're alive to be able to do it. I mean, that becomes that second question. I mean, what if those, yeah. what if those 1,223 that are cited in the, in the initial data dump, um, what if those were all in the experimental group? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's, this is, this is very, I mean, I, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing um, Maddie DeGarry's mother, Stephanie DeGarry, um, and Amanda Damien, uh, who put together the, um, the uh, Washington uh, Defeat the Mandates uh, rally in, in January. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was uh, there. You didn't yeah. see me, but I was there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, so they're going to actually, they're going to, their uh, interview is going to go uh, on Energetic Health Radio tomorrow. Uh, on the America Out Loud platform, um, they're telling the, they told their full story on the, in the interview, and this is from what they told me. This is the first time they've told their entire kind of nightmare of, of what was going on. I gave each of them their own you know twenty minute segment to kind of talk, and it was it's it's gut wrenching, it's heartbreaking mm. what you're hearing mm. because you know what you're really hearing is that. Like Maddie, here's here's a little girl who thought she wanted to do her duty. She thought that this was going to be completely safe, completely effective, and she wanted to show people that it was going to be safe and effective. So mm -hmm. she volunteers her body up for this, mm. gets hurt, and mm -hmm. then immediately they turn their back on. Immediately they kick her out of the clinical trial. Immediately they take her out of analysis for safety and efficacy data. Immediately she's ghosted, mm -hmm. and there's no financial support, even though she needs real medical help right and uh, you know you look at that and you go what wow. kind of people mm -hmm. would do something like that well these kind of people criminals would do things yeah. like that criminals would do things like that well i i'm sharing to show the viewers and we'll tell the radio listeners americaoutloud.com all one word americaoutloud.com i look forward to that interview to hear um what they have to say and i'm um you know bless them and for their courage of speaking out because mm -hmm. it's, it's speaking out like that that's going to bring a lot of this forward it can't be easy to do they must be exhausted mm -hmm. you know i can imagine they just would like to go home and rest and heal but they they stay on the trail you know like you do like like a lot of us just kind of keep hanging in there um because mm -hmm. the truth has to come out so your um the the grand jury mm -hmm. um trial this is focusing on not on vaccine injury but the things that the cdc did that allowed all of this to happen can you cover the key points that your grand jury investigation um, highlights sure 
So our, our preliminary research before we got into the petitions was really pointing to significant data fraud. Um, and the first clue became uh, for us with, uh, with death certificates. You know, um, death certificates were clearly being manipulated. Comorbidities were being de-emphasized and moved to a different part of the death certificate where they don't get counted statistically. And what that enabled them to do was leave COVID or even a presumptive diagnosis, meaning you didn't even have a lab you know, diagnosis, but a presumptive diagnosis of COVID as the cause of death. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very interesting. We have now three important proofs that have happened in the United States. In 2021, Alameda County, California, and Santa Clara County, California, corrected their COVID death counts, removing the, doing a partial audit, removing the ones that obviously should not have been counted as COVID. That reduced COVID death counts in those two major metropolitan counties um, by 22 and 25%. That's significant, Ooh, right? That is, it's yes. huge, right? Well, Massachusetts yesterday just did mm-hmm. the same thing. Saw that. They, they just came out and reduced theirs by almost, uh, it's about 18%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but that's 4,000 deaths. So where, where people are going, well, you know, that could be just a mathematical error thing. No, that's 4,000 times they just agreed that they could, excuse me, 4,081 times that they just agreed that they committed fraud. You fraudulently diagnose someone as COVID and then you, fr- you fraudulently filled out a death certificate. That's a federal crime to write a cause of death on a death certificate that did not, was not responsible for that cause of death. The implications for that in the grand jury petition, Bernadette, was we found where they were doing data fraud. But believe it or not, those are not criminal penalties. Those are only civil penalties. Hmm. Okay, it's not a crime to lie using data in in our it's a it's a civil issue. Right. Where it becomes a crime is when it crosses over into insurance, Medicare, Medicaid fraud. And that's where we brought in the Health and Human Services um, uh, directors in on this. Azar, the predecessor, and Becerra, the, the current Secretary of the Health and Human Services Department, because the HHS then created a, a system to enable Medicare, Medicaid fraud based upon the data fraud. This is so intertwined that we, you know, this is how you get the transference of literally hundreds of billions of dollars of American taxpayer money to uh, people that are defrauding the American people. Does this include all those financial incentives that were put to the hospital? So if if a death is now declared not to be to COVID, does the hospital have to pay back all of the money that they were given for that? So far, no. No. But but should they have to pay all that money back? Absolutely, plus penalty, because that's coming from the American taxpayer. But yeah. we can't get there until we get to the criminal um, mm-hmm. element of that, and, and then you get into restitution. So, in a in a in a big way, what we've what we've connected are some dots of not only uh, that the data fraud preceded the insurance fraud, and that the con- combination of those two. And this is the funny part, Bernadette. You ready? To, you ready for this? Yeah. The data fraud, the changes in in death certificate reporting, preceded the. Um, in the Medicare Medicaid fraud, the installment of that fraudulent approach, that, mm-hmm. that fraudulent system, by two days. 
<laughs> two days. Two days. So, so we all know government works slowly. Things don't yeah. get done, right? How coincidental that <laughs> on March 24th, they changed death certificates in 2020. And then on March 26th, the Health and Human Services says, hospitals, guess what you're going to get if you go along with this? A yeah. lot of money. Oh, a lot of money. Yeah. So I don't know if wow. that sums it up, but that's pretty much, it's all willful misconduct. And here's yeah. the key. Here's the key, yeah. Bernadette. So if people want to read the petition, that, the, the, um, the filing and the petition, it's uh, 63 pages, I think. And then we have over a thousand pages of exhibits um, that have been submitted to the, the federal courts. But you can go to covidcon21.com. We have a whole page on grand jury. You can go there. You can download the, the, um, the actual petition for free. Um, and so you can read it. We want you to read it. This should Americans need to know about this. And then we have a second free download on that page for frequently asked questions about grand juries, because this is nice. why we're going after willful misconduct. Willful misconduct is the only thing that allows us to breach the protections from the PREP Act and the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. If you can prove willful misconduct, mm -hmm. what you do is you open up a right of private action for the families that have been injured by these shots to sue and get compensation for the injuries they've incurred. Wow, this is amazing work that you and your team have done. So it's COVIDCon21 for those watching it streaming. I've got that um, on the screen right now. And it looks like we go to the federal grand jury petition Correct. free download. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just go um, ahead and click on that. Yeah. And then uh, and then we have a, we have an outlay there for you that will tell you a little bit. There you go. Yeah, click on that one more time. We have an outlay there that'll give you a little background on on how we started figuring this out. We're we're some we're some data hounds, so we've mm -hmm. been tracking this since March twelfth of I'm like, well my goodness it is now officially two years uh, that we have been tracking what's going on every single day for two years. I have not taken a, a day off in in two years on, wow. on this issue. There's the um, court filing. Court nice. filing that you can download. You can scroll down a little bit more, mm -hmm. and uh, right below that will be the frequently asked questions. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, Bernadette, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have uh, we have a video on, we have a video with the two senators, uh, Senator uh, Dennis Lenthicum and Senator Kim Thatcher. We're gonna be doing some interviews with them. I hope that we can schedule nice. something to bring them on with you. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, you as betcha. Well, right, and mm -hmm. talk about this. Uh, scroll down mm -hmm. just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. This is a video I did at the Church of Glad Tidings last year, Free the Brave talking about all this. So it's a way to just watch and have somebody kind of walk you through. But if you scroll nice. down just a little bit more, there's one more little freebie that we put on this page for everybody. Okay. Um, yeah, more? go down a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. See, <laughs> this is a, not, a packed page. This is fantastic. I'm not brief. That's one thing. No. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get that. But you can download this. Why is this relevant? This is a document that is uh, exhibit. Um, I think this is exhibit A. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also a matter of public record as well um, previously. And it answers, I think there's like 40 questions in here that we answer. Key wow. questions like, can you be vaccinated and still counted as unvaccinated and things like mm -hmm. that. So we mm -hmm. answer every one of those, are these still in clinical trial? All that, mm -hmm. we answer all of those questions for you yeah. and we show you our citations and, and where everything is. No one has wanted to debate me on this topic. No, they no, wouldn't. No <laughs> and I'm gonna. You're not. You're you're too humble to do it. But 
you will see on this page, people donate to support grand jury petitions. I encourage you every little penny helps. This is going to cost a lot for these great people to hold our government, the CDC accountable. And the reason it needs to be done is so that it will never be done to us again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this must go forward. We have got, we need a revolution as this, this radio show opens up with a theme song of we need a revolution. And, you know, we're, we're in the revolution. I'm so proud of, of people, of, of, mm-hmm. of Americans who are stepping up from all walks of life. We've got a peaceful, fantastic revolution. It's happening mm-hmm. everywhere. It's happening legally. All these people deciding, I'm going to figure out, you know, my rights, my neighbor's rights, and I'm going to protect us. And, I'm, and you know, mm-hmm. and they're trying everything. They're slinging it at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. And then we've got coming up with ways to prevent illness, to mm-hmm. recover from illness, to recover from injury, to support each other, to support our neighbors if they're struggling because of all mm-hmm. the COVID responses. That's right. Just, you know, this has been a quiet, peaceful revolution. I do want to remind people that it's so easy to get angry, and mm-hmm. but we must remain um, peaceful. And we're going to make the world, uh, you know, a better place, much better place. And we're about at the halfway mark. Was there Were there any, like, hot topics on that grand jury you wanted to cover before we segue into healing? Well, um, and thank you for the segue. And I appreciate that so much because, you know, we can talk about the data and the horrors and the tragedy and we need to, especially the stories of them. But we have to talk about what those solutions are. And, and you know, a lot of people don't know my background. I, I'm the founder of Energetic Health Institute. So uh, I'm a naturopathic doctor and everything I do is about nutrition and natural. And so it's been like fingernails on a chalkboard for me that we can't <laughs> even get simple vitamin D guidance issued yeah. nationwide. But I... Um, I, I just wanted to say, um, you know, we are in the process of serving the defendants um, and uh, which is going to be a, another monumental step um, that's going to re- at that point, the court is required to honor our petition and, and rule on it. Um, and if the uh, and what's interesting about our approach is we're not actually asking the court to have an opinion on on our petition. Um, this is we couldn't even find any case law to to um, say that there's precedent for what we're attempting here. We are simply tell, asking of the court to provide the information we have to a uh, impaneled special federal grand jury. So the court, it's not even for the court to go, well, I don't think this petition has merit. No, you don't get to decide that. 18 U.S.C. 3332 clearly states that every citizen has a right to petition uh, a grand jury for redress of grievances. And I got to tell you, you don't have a grievance with what's gone on in the last two years. I don't know where you've been living, but but save me some real estate out there because I might join you after we win this one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I hear you. Well, you know, I'm sending you prayers and and love and hope and and just let us know. Keep reaching out to us. Let us know what you need. Obviously, you're going to need money. So please, I know everybody's like always asking for money. But, you know, really, if you get your neighbor and everybody else, all those little bits add up. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the manna from heaven, the multiplication of the loaves, that sort of thing happens when you you reach out. Got to get her done. Um, Yeah. So I healing, there are, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times and we really haven't had adequate time to delve into it. We've got Mm -hmm. some good time here. Fasting. 
Mm-hmm. Fasting for um, treating illness, mm-hmm. fasting for treating injury. It, it is, uh, it's a fascinating, it's, it's biblical. Mm-hmm. Fasting is biblical. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, I'm not even sure quite where to start. So why don't you just kind of leap in there and tell us what you know about it? Well, I got to tell you, I, I've been studying uh, fasting for about 20 years. Um, there's a process called um, uh, autophagy. I, I pronounce it autophagy. A lot of people pronounce it autophagy and they make fun of me and I laugh at them because I'm like that whole word, the big college word is autophagocytosis. So I don't know how you get from autophagocytosis down to autophagy, but maybe <laughs> maybe if you have tea time and a top hat, you do, but I, I'm not that kind of dude. I'm, I'm, I'm a goody <laughs> dude. So for me, it's autophagy. And we, there's this beautiful process, Bernadette, that exists within our bodies that that most people never get into, right? And here's the here's the simplicity of it. Hunger is healing. And I've been teaching on this for years, right? Now, when you're hungry, when you have that sense of, man, I'm really hungry, you know, you've had a good workout and you're getting, starting to get the grumbles in the tummy and stuff like that. What your body is telling you is you've switched into a state of self, a very advanced state of self-healing at the cell level called autophagy. And essentially what's happening in the cell at that point in time is the anything that's not supposed to be in the cell is enveloped in a lipid bubble, a fat bubble. And that fat bubble isolates the things in the cell that shouldn't be there. Things like maybe, I don't know, an mRNA sequence um, that shouldn't be there, a spike protein, things that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. It isolates it And then it carries it to another organelle within the cell called lysosomes. Now, lysosomes within the cell, you can think of them as the cell's stomach acid, the cell's digestive um, process. Mm. So when those two bubbles, when the lysosome, which is its own bubble, meets with the lipid bubble that's encapsulated what's not supposed to be in the cell, they merge and the, the enzymes start breaking down what's not supposed to be in the cell. And if the cell can reuse and repurpose it, it will. And if it can, it spits it out, it detoxifies it and gets it out. And, and then you, you, your cell is really healthy. This process, this, this innate healing process, autophagy is essential for a cell because what's supposed to happen is before a cell replicates, the cell wants to go into autophagy first so that it can go into healing, not just these parts of the cell and getting rid of the waste, but also healing the DNA so that the cell can replicate the healthiest version of itself. But here's the thing. And remember, in order for you to get into that state, you have to be hungry, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine a person who's on a feeding tube and it's a 24 hour feed. They're never getting into autophagy, but that that makes sense right there. Mm -hmm. But what about us who aren't on feeding tubes? us not on feeding tubes think about how often we are eating mm-hmm. we wake up and it's coffee it's calories it's coffee or some kind of sweet treat or something like that with uh with some some sugar in it something with calories in it as soon as you put calories in the body you shut off autophagy all right mm-hmm. that's the key thing as soon as calories go in so if you're drinking herbal tea with no sweeteners you're not shutting off autophagy if you're drinking water you're not shutting off autophagy but if you're drinking coffee and putting sweeteners in, you're shutting it off, right? Mm. And then, even artificial sweeteners, even anything with calorie—that's the key. Mm-hmm. 
So some artificial sweeteners don't, but you, I'm a naturopathic doctor. That's all about yeah. organic. I'm not going to yeah. say artificial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and I don't. I I don't believe in in. Um, it's not really a belief, but I, they are dangerous, and I don't support the use of artificial sweeteners. I just wanted, kind of wanted to know if mm -hmm. about the auto, but even if it's just like a one calorie, like a stevia. I mean, that's not real. That's a natural oh, sweetener. One calorie, it, I wouldn't. One calorie wouldn't do it. But, okay. you know, so like, don't you, you can, you know, we can't be absolutists with this kind of stuff, right. but it's just, our, it's really that sensation and calorie turns off hunger because see, this is the thing when you look at the cell, right? This mm -hmm. it's so exciting. Like I, I love mechanism of action. I love getting in and I want to understand why what we do works or and why would we try some things? It doesn't work. Right? I want to understand that process. So that means you have to go down to the cell level and mm -hmm. really understand what's a cell doing. Well, here's something that we teach at, at the Energetic Health Institute. Cells can do one thing at a time really well, but they don't multitask. Now, within the cell, there's a lot of multitasking going on if you look at it from that perspective. But from a global perspective, you no, know, a cell is going to do one thing. A cell is going to absorb nutrients. A cell is going to metabolize those nutrients and produce energy. A cell is going to detoxify from that process. A cell is going to assemble proteins. A cell is going to want to get into autophagy, and then a cell will replicate. There's these unique things that a cell does. But if we never get into autophagy, then what's happening at the cell level is the cell never had the opportunity to heal itself before it replicated. Ooh. And that sets the stage for cancer. That sets mm. the stage for disease process and degeneration, wow. okay? Mm -hmm. this is, so this is why hunger is healing. Now, we're not, we're not saying, to starvation. Starvation and hunger are two different things. Okay. Okay. We're talking about hunger. Being hungry every day mm -hmm. is healing. This is why intermittent fasting, saying I'm only going to eat in an eight hour window every mm -hmm. day, and I'm mm -hmm. going to have 16 consecutive hours of no calorie. That's why it works because you're getting on average on a daily basis about four to six hours of autophagy in if you practice intermittent fasting. Yeah. Well, that's but, very doable too. That's not overwhelming, yeah. you know. No, that's, yeah, totally that's, doable. Yeah. But it doesn't work. Uh, um, it doesn't work, Bernadette, typically for people with autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. Autoimmune diseases, intermittent fasting after about two weeks of, of consecutive use tends to uh, relapse them, you know, so oh, not dear. all the time. So it's not really a solution for them intermittent. But guess what works for them? What? Clinical fasting. Clinical fasting is three-day water fasting, 72 hours, three days of water fasting. And it actually gets you into a deeper expression of autophagy because there's different, there's like three or four different components of ways mm -hmm. that the cell can, it can utilize it. It gets all of them working at their peak efficiency. And it actually gets the body when you're doing three days of water fasting, it actually gets the body into a place of resetting the immune system and also stimulating stem cells within your own body. Wow, that is so amazing. That's a lot more challenging to do. Going three days with just water is something that you do lightly. <laughs> um, it takes a lot of self-discipline, but how exciting to think that you're getting all that healing done. Um, you mentioned one thing, I, and I want to understand you said at some point, actually, do you want to let the dogs out? They look like they want it. Oh, no, they're, they're, okay. they're waiting. Mommy is <laughs> coming through the door anytime soon. And they're okay. like, they've been bored. So, okay. Yeah. They're all right. Um, you, you said at some point that they, they release 
the things that don't belong in the body. They kind right. of, um, where does it go? How does that release process happen? I mean, right. where does it release it? Like into the liver and kidneys you're talking about? or how does Exactly. That- yeah. So think about this. So you're a cell, right? You've now used, you've gotten into a fasting state. You're a little bit hungry. So now autophagy has taken over. It's encapsulated some things that shouldn't be there. They've gotten broken mm-hmm. down. Some of those things, because cells are beautiful studies in 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 uh, repurposing. Mm-hmm. If, if there's an amino acid or something the cell can use, it'll use it, right? But mm. if there's something there that cells like, nah, I can't use that at all. It's too yeah. too damaged. Then what it does is it it excretes it, pushes okay. it out, okay. and that'll go into the intercellular space where it's basically just water water between cells. But that ultimately finds its way back into the bloodstream. And okay. once it finds its way in the bloodstream, it goes to the organs of filtration, kidneys, okay. liver, and that's how the body then excretes it through the urine or through the bile, um, which uh, so the liver will get rid of things that shouldn't be there by producing bile. Now, bile okay. will break down fats, but it also is a way of detoxing. Mm-hmm. So here's the key. This is why fiber is so important for people who are really healthy, because mm-hmm. what fiber does is fiber binds that bile up. Okay, and now it forces the body to poop that bile out. So if you ever ever had a poop that floats, that's telling you there was bile in there because it only can float because it's fatty. All right. Okay, so that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, we get get naturopath. You're gonna talk about poop some point in time. I finally get to talk about poop. Two years we get to talk about poop. You just you reminded me of somebody I worked with years ago at a grocery store who (laughs) who was fighting a cold and he was eating a lot of chicken soup and I don't know why I remember this and I forgive me audience but he said I've been eating so much chicken soup but my my floaters have feathers (laughs) so I I guess he was detoxifying and I didn't understand that all these years later I would sort of understand that whole. That is right. really cool. <laughs> the, the body is amazing, especially when you get to joke about it like this. Yeah. Right? But what, what's happening is now with some fiber, your body's getting rid of that bile. And when it does, what it forces the liver to do, Bernadette, is produce new bile. Mm. And when the liver produces new bile, it's now able to really detoxify not just itself, but the entire body. This wow. is the power of fiber. And mm-hmm. it, that's... So one of the things we do at the Energetic Health Institute, we have a program called uh, the Detox Series energetic for energetic cleansing. What we do is we take people through a 28-day cleanse using bentonite clay and fiber and a lot of nutrients and herbs, mm-hmm. right? And then at the end of that, we take them on a three-day fast so that everything's supervised and people get to learn how to do it. We actually had a class just start today cool. on this, you know? So if people are yeah. interested, check it out. We still have spaces in the class, but I mean, this is the exciting skill set that everybody could have to learn. I can, if, if I could teach the world one thing, it would be, let me teach you how to cleanse and fast because those in my opinion are the two most impactful, positively impactful um, skills to maintain your health so that you never, I shouldn't say never. So your likelihood of going, needing a doctor or going to a hospital plummets. Wow. Right. And, I, and anybody me, can afford to do it because it costs nothing. It's right? cheaper to be healthy than it is to be sick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd rather invest a little bit of coin into my health every day than yeah. trying to spend what hundreds of thousands of dollars so somebody can imprison me and, and try to kill me in their in their hospital, please. No, yeah. no I'm no. good. 
No, that is so exciting. Now you said you've got this class going on. Is it in person? Do you have to be where you are in Oregon or is it virtual? So it's such a good question. Everything we do is online, but we do something really unique at the school. So every Friday we do a master class. So we all get together, all the participants, all the students get together and we go over what's been happening in there. But we also have teachers and, and support staff on call seven days a week for every single person right okay so, cool. yeah so um what's really what's really unique about it is you learn by doing number one which is really how we learn anyway mm-hmm. but you're always supported so even though you're online you never feel alone not for one second at the energetic health institute you got just great people so if you go to where it says programs if you click on programs where it says, oh, right here actually, yeah. actually actually just stay on the home page scroll down okay Scroll down yeah. below COVID con. I'm going to have to move that out. <laughs> but uh, scroll back up just a little bit. Oop, uh, scroll back up. Yeah, you can see a but you're going to see a bunch of healthy, happy people all over this page. And these are real students you're looking yeah. at. All right. Yeah. So scroll up a little bit more. Right there. Do you see where it says cleansing and fasting? Cleansing yeah. and fasting. There we go. Click on that, and then that'll take you to the page. You can click on and that'll take you to the page there right there, and you get to see a crazy nice. dude talking with a nice. side. Yeah. You know, I'm going to sign up for this. Um, I don't, you said it just started. It just started today. You can, we, we accept students for all the way till next Friday because cool. it, we won't start cleansing technically until next Sunday. So okay. it, this first week is a setup week and a learning week. It's it's such a, oh my God, we've, Bernadette, we've had so many things that people would call miracles. Bernadette, I, I did a trial because I wanted to prove to some, I wanted to prove to myself, but I also wanted to prove to some MDs that were saying, well, cleansing doesn't work, right? So I did a, a, Morgan, a Morgan Spurlock thing, the supersize me kind of thing. And oh, I, treated, yeah. I treated my body like crap for about two, three weeks, eating every known food allergen, all kind of crap food. It's not really food, you know, all the fast food stuff. Did, did you go, you went to McDonald's? I, I didn't go to McDonald's. I could not bring myself <laughs> to do that. But I did eat a lot of pizza and I did eat <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I did smoke and I did drink and I and I just I got to tell you, I took pictures of, of me descending into disease. Yeah. And uh, and we cataloged everything. We, we we did a we did a journal, a video journal and a, a photo journal every day. And, and, uh, and I, I we cataloged everything. I got blood work um, the day before I started cleansing. My cholesterol levels, which are normally really good, had shot up to two hundred and twenty nine. OK. Mm-hmm. In just a couple of weeks, right? Shot up. 28 days later, cleansing. You can see the changes and everything, right? We went and got blood work again. My cholesterol levels had dropped 39 points. My right. my MD uh, friend who who drew the blood for me and everything, he was like, I don't believe this. There's there's no way. This this is far superior to any statin drug. I was like, you got it. <laughs> now, now you're getting it, yeah. right? You haven't been taught properly, and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Like all of these doctors out there, if I was a if I was going to MD school, I'd be demanding that nutrition become at least a thousand hours of my education mm-hmm. instead of the nineteen point six hours it is on average in these medical schools. Nineteen point mm-hmm. six. What are you going to learn in nineteen no. six hours? Yeah, no. And right? you know, we we are literally made of the food we consume, mm-hmm. and the air we breathe, and the water we drink, and mm-hmm. everything we're exposed to. And and the idea that a pharmaceutical drug that works to suppress a symptom or change one little tiny thing without going 
to the true cellular level and, and just really addressing who you are. Um, you know, I mean, when we die, we turn into dust, right? So you got, mm-hmm. you've got you just got to replace those cells. I'm very excited about this. Um, so you're, good well, for you're you. Gonna have, you're going to have a great experience with it. And it's we run it. We run the course three times a, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another course starting, another one starting up in uh, May and then another one uh, in the early fall. But mm-hmm. what, we, what we have is uh, there are three different cleanses that we do with people to get a full body cleanse going. We do a digestive first. Then mm-hmm. we do a liver gallbladder cleanse and you learn some more skills like coffee enemas and stuff like that. And then we do um, we do a, a kidney, uh, a kidney cleanse as well. Okay. And you imagine clean. Imagine all of your organs being clean and working to their highest capability. Imagine how good you're going to feel yeah. when that's your reality. That's really good. You know, and it's something I've been thinking about doing for a long time because, you know, I'm of that age with the, you know, menopause, the hot flashes. They've been going mm-hmm. on way too long. And before I left the state, I have a, a Washington state. I have a great naturopath and and I had him do a hair analysis mm-hmm. to see, you know, at this age, what I've absorbed. And there were a couple, I can't remember. One of them was like thorium. I'm thinking because I'm thinking <laughs> like, where the heck did I pick up thorium? And there were right. there were a couple other odd um uh, metals that I had. And so he was encouraging, you know, I haven't done them yet, people, coffee enemas, and cilantro mm-hmm. and and different things. So mm-hmm. I think doing this like under the guidance of a whole program um, will be really useful. You know, I've been on this planet long enough. And I've, you know, and I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. So I've been eating a bit on the dark side is what I call it. Yeah. Yep. Non-organic wheats, yep. you know, processed uh, luncheon meats, because that's what they served you at that event you went to. Right. 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 You know, and I wake up the next day and my joints hurt and, you know, mm-hmm. you just don't feel good. Um, yeah. So this is, this is very exciting that you're doing this. So, and you've got a couple spots available. So everybody go to, again, the, the, Website is, I'm going to share one more time so uh, people can see, tell the um, sure, our the, video the web, listeners. Sure. The, the website is energetichealthinstitute.org. And you can just go and search the, the website for the uh, energetic uh, cleansing specialist program. All right. It's what we call our detox series. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Bernadette, you know, yeah. one of the things that's been really awesome over the last couple of years is, you know, I think we've learned without a doubt that the major issue is that we're unhealthy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, let's let's stop. Let's stop beating around the bush here. We're as a society, mm-hmm. we are unhealthy. But the good news is that we can change that. Yes. Right. And it yeah. just takes learning some basic skills. And then what we see take off from there, Bernadette, is people are like, well, hey, I want to start a garden. I want to I want to grow my own food. I, I want to do this. I want I want to get into regenerative agriculture. I want to help heal the planet. It's like, you got it now. You got it. Once, once you're feeling yeah. good, there's no stopping what we can create yeah. from this love energy that we build. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I've, I, I say it often that, you know, uh, COVID has been sort of like a healing crisis for us. Yes. Um, you know, it's that healing fever. And it really, at one point, it could have gone either way. But enough people stepped up. Um, 
were willing to take the attacks to, to say the truth. And now mm -hmm. the narrative is turning. Of course, they're moving on to a different phase, you know, right. we're going from being attacked by COVID to be attacked by something else. But, mm -hmm. you know, people are becoming more savvy and sophisticated. And um, I, I believe in, I believe in this planet, <laughs> believe mm -hmm. in humans, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. a, I'm that Pollyanna. And I, I think we're going to get mm -hmm. there. Um, thanks to folks like you um, stepping up and, and showing us the way. And we so appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I echo everything you're saying right there, Bernadette. I, I have this spring of eternal hope. And we ha I had some moments, I'm not going to lie, over the two years where I was like, this is going the wrong direction and fast. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. now you just get this sense that people are like, the people who are awake, there's such a significant percentage of yes. people who are awake that it's like, no, they're not, we're not going back to sleep. And now no. we know that you mm -hmm. don't care about us. There's no, no, there's no marketing ploy that you're going to be able to do to make us think you actually care about us. I got to be the captain of this ship and I got to be a part of my own rescue. And I'm ready to do that. Yeah. It, it's wonderful. And more and more people are waking up. Some, some woke up, you know, there's a lot of different avenues mm -hmm. to having that. And did you hear that Gregory Poland now has how do you pronounce it? Tinnitus, the ringing in the ear. Who's who's Gregory Gregory Poland? I'm not. Oh, familiar. he a vaccinologist, editor of Vaccine oh. Magazine. He's he's a really interesting scientist who will admit that vaccines come with risk, and there's certain genetic yeah. types that are more susceptible to injury. Right. He's done some really interesting science, but he's up until now he's sort of treated the world like we're his lab rats, and he's quite comfortable with still promoting products well i don't he's calling for more research into the safety of these products even though he says he still supports them but his life might be forever altered unless can can fasting have you ever experienced fasting um healing tinnitus is that something that might yes yes, yes i have this okay. is my my belief is in god and my belief is god gave us everything we need and put everything in our body to withstand okay. even this nightmare Okay, well, that might be something we reach out across that divide to say nobody, not even you, should suffer from um, ringing in the air. We're all about love and grace, and I hear time is up. So, Dr. H, thank you for pitch hitting for Kevin Jenkins at the last minute and jumping in. It was wonderful having you on the show. Take care yeah. and God bless. God bless. Thank Bye -bye. you. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio at 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back next week. Thank you. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? 
If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.